Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. My name is DJ, one of your hosts, and thanks for joining me back at the canteen. This is one of our regular segments where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. This week, we continued on in our study of the book of Philippians that we're calling Hashtag Goals. We're into chapter two, and we examine what is known as the Jesus Hymn, a reflection on the humility and exaltation of Jesus. And as we hear it, Pastor Blake encourages us to examine how Jesus's humility and exaltation inform our purpose in living today. So let's listen in as he brings us this week's message. Uh, welcome this morning. If, uh, if you would grab your Bible or your phone and find Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. As you do that this morning, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, congratulations, you've got a streak going as we uh, begin to look through and study and ask God to speak to us through this uh, little tiny letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Uh, if not, let me uh, grace to you and, and let me just catch you up uh, very quickly on what we've kind of talked about in chapter 1 as we get ready to start chapter 2 today. So in chapter 1, we talked two weeks ago about this idea that um, the, the community is valuable. Our faith in Christ is a y'all thing. It's a y'all thing, right? And we asked this really provocative question, what if... The goals, the things that were out in front of you, your next steps in life or in Christ could only be found by being in community with one another, allowing people who love Jesus and have the Holy Spirit living inside of them to speak into what's going on, right? We kind of asked them those questions. And then last week, in the back half of chapter 1, we talked about Jesus being the hero of our personal stories. That, man, we've all got some shame that's trying to shut us up. And yet, when we tell our stories with Jesus as the hero, uh, it, everything begins to, to make a little more sense. And, and how do we do that in a healthy way? Um, here's the thing. Being part of something bigger than yourself, of, of a community of believers, often seems to put you in a pickle. Okay? Do I choose the, the community? Do I choose the y'all? Or do I choose myself? And we see that in these first two weeks, right? Like the value of community, your personal story. And so we, we kind of live in this tension, this, this pickle. And, and the right answer seems pretty clear, right? Like the right answer seems like community. But at the same time, we, I've all felt that tension of like, how do I keep the self, myself, healthy so that I can contribute to that community? And so today, as we open chapter 2, it's, I think it's one of the most insightful writings about who Jesus is. Uh, DJ read it. You're going to hear it again and again. It's affectionately known as the Jesus hymn. And, and through this, Paul is going to show us how Jesus' passion unites us all around his purpose. All right, so let's, let's read this together and ask the Lord to, to speak to us. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If, then, there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, 
Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God the Father, we pray to you that your spirit would teach us your word today, that your spirit would help us to understand who Jesus is, your spirit would unite us together around his purpose for our life to worship you we pray this in jesus name amen this summer uh, caitlin and i took tinley and preston to a reds baseball game now admittedly we were a little out of the loop on reds baseball um, but we learned as we were making our plans and making our way up to cincinnati that that game that we were going to had the potential to be their 10th win in a row. You, if you're a baseball person, sports fan, you might have remembered that this summer. So we're going to the game. The Colorado Rockies are the opponent, and uh, the Reds jump out to a lead. It's a fun game. We've got great seats. We're sitting there watching. We get to the ninth inning, and the Rockies start to make a comeback. They start to make their run. They, they hit a home run, then they load the bases. There's two outs, and their best hitter is at the plate. I mean, this is fairy tale type stuff here. I mean, but it was real, okay? So, it's, so we're sitting there, and uh, we weren't sitting anymore, because in this moment, during this entire at-bat, the whole stadium packed out on their feet, clapping, cheering, hoping for that one thing, win number 10. I mean, it was, it was just, it was cool. I kind of get chills thinking about it again. Like, every pitch, there was like this swell of noise, until the pitch came across the plate, and you'd hear it pop in the catcher's glove, and the umpire would make his call, right? And it was just so exciting. And then, when strike three was called, and the game was over, the stadium erupted in celebration. I mean, it was just, everybody was excited, pandemonium. Up on one deck, there was like this TV set, and people were so crowded and chanting around that that it was hard to get out of the stadium. It was just one of the coolest things in terms of being united with, with a group of people celebrating something. Now, I'm not a diehards Red fan, Reds fan. I, I, I enjoy a good baseball game, but like that's, that's just not me. But I enjoyed being united with a crowd full of people hoping for a win. I think we all do, right? We, like all of us enjoy being a part of something bigger than ourselves, of being united with a group of people around a bigger purpose. I mean, when you say that word un- unity, uh, all of us typically run to, to some kind of example of that. And those examples are often something that, that we've experienced ourselves. Sometimes it's as, as simple as a peaceful family car ride. Right? <laughs> like, praise the Lord, we are united and not fighting for 20 minutes. 
It, it can be that simple, but, but uh, other times it is a sports team that we were maybe on or, or cheering for, and they just seem to be completely in sync. I mean, they were working together as they went on a winning streak. Some of us might think about um, being in, in worship or on a, a marching band or, or something like some type of musical group, and, and you can just tell that that group is capturing that, that, that idea, the drumline idea of one band, one sound. And the unity is a beautiful thing. And sometimes we think about it relationally. We look back and we, we think about seasons of, of marriage when things were just really good. Like we love and enjoy our spouse deeply. Like everything seemed to make sense and we're clicking together. And as we make decisions, like we're on the same page. And those times are really good. Or, or maybe we even think about um, different events, like events we've had here in Shelbyville, where, where a diverse group of people intentionally come together. They lay their selfish things to the side to seek unity. We love, we love to be united. I hope that the Lord's called something to your mind, a moment where you experience the power of unity. And Paul begins chapter 2 of his letter to the Philippians with some ways that the church in Philippi is experiencing unity. Now, he, he says them as if statements, but you can tell from the writing that he's presuming them to be true. He's saying, these are things that you're experiencing at Philippi. In verse 1, he says, if then there's any encouragement in Christ. Like, if it's encouraging you to you to think about having a relationship with Christ, if, if there's any consolation or, or comfort of love, like if you feel loved by the people that are around you, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, when you get together as a church, if, if there's a sense that the Spirit is there and He's leading you, if there's, if there's any affection and mercy, if this is a place that you, you know, feel those things and are accepted because of the mercy of God, right? This is the type of unity that He sees. And, and He says, if that's you, if you're experiencing any of these things, in the church, then Paul's request in verse 2. Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. How, how powerful could it be if we were truly and deeply united around Jesus and his church? Not just like my attendance is good, but like at the core of my being, I understand that his passion of bringing us together is my purpose. If you let yourself go there and think about what it would be like to be a part of, of that, it kind of sounds unreal. It's kind of hard to think about. And I think that the reason that it is kind of hard to think about and it seems unreal is because it often is. And it often is because a guy named Self always gets in the way. A guy named Self always gets in the way. So Paul envisions this united picture of the church. Make my joy complete by being intent on one purpose. Right? Having Christ at the center of everything. But then he addresses what makes it almost impossible to achieve in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interests of others. Well, that's a piece of cake. We can all, like, let's go home. Everybody can do that, right? 
You've got to be kidding me. All of us, right, have been taught since a, a young age to share our toys and not be so selfish. You want somebody to encourage you not to be selfish? Ask whoever is watching the toddlers today, right? They will encourage you to not be so selfish. But, but most of us begin to assume that we've outgrown our own selfishness. Let me begin by confessing mine, because if it, like, poor Caitlin did not know what she was getting into when she married me. <laughs> I mean, in all kinds of ways, but right now I'm just going to, like, one of the most infuriating things has to be when I just fail to respond to her. I'm, I'm just owning it in front of everyone, right? There are times that she could ask me if I wanted a perfectly cooked steak, tickets to the Super Bowl, a trip to Australia, and... 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, more than that, seconds later, I'm going to say something like, what did you say? <laughs> You've been here, right? Maybe not. Maybe it's just me. I'm there all the time. Now, <laughs> I could start trying to defend the different things that I'm, I'm giving my attention to in those moments. But here's the reality. I don't hear Caitlin because I am more concerned with what I'm thinking about. Let's call it what it is, right? I, I ignore her because I'd rather keep thinking about what I want to think about. That is selfishness. You're like, Blake, hold on. That feels a little extreme. <laughs> like, we're, we're really going to say that is, is selfishness? In fact, some of you are sitting out there thinking, if you just changed the story and you were ignoring your kids instead of your wife, we'd call that self-care and move on. But that's selfishness. And you see, that, that's what we do. We don't outgrow it. In fact, our minds begin to misremember things to cover up our mistakes and to cover up our selfishness. In 2020, researchers from Yale, all right, to me that says they're smart people, they uncovered the, that people often misremember things to cover their selfishness they were able to recognize that the people often prioritize their own interests, but also like to see themselves as moral good people. Can I get an amen? We live in this tension, don't we? And so one way to both pursue personal gain and preserve a moral self-image that you think is good is to misremember the extent of one's selfishness. Okay, are you tracking with me? So in one set of tests, they ask a series of questions about giving money to someone in need. There were several questions, right? And they, they had to give their responses to how much money they would give in certain situations. And then at a later time, those who had been the stingiest remembered themselves as far more generous than they were. Now, they went on to do a whole bunch of other tests. And over a series of these similar tests, they were able to prove that when people had violated their own moral standards, in other words, you have like this, this moral code living inside of you, and whenever you'd violated your own standards, whatever those standards were, your brain would misremember the facts in order to see yourself in a better light. In other words, it's hard it is impossible 
to recognize how selfish we are because our brains, affected by our fallen nature, don't correctly remember how selfish we are. A little intimidating, isn't it? Well, like we love to be united, and I really like the idea of you know, being united around the purpose that Christ has for my life. But there's this guy named Self who keeps getting in the way. So how can we, as a church, be people who, encouraged by Christ and, and comforted by love and in fellowship with the Spirit, how, how can we, as a people, be united around the goals and purposes that God has for us when our self keeps getting in the way. I mean, we could just all try to be less selfish, but to get there on our own is impossible, right? We just learned that because our brain's going to misremember. What about a more stringent moral code? Like, what if we just said, no selfishness allowed? That that's not really going to help anything. Maybe you say, well, we just need more self-discipline. But, but self-discipline still allows the self to get in the way and to, to be a barrier. You see, we don't, we don't need more good examples because we're all selfish at our core. We need someone who cares so much about our self that he's willing to give himself. We need someone who can bring us together and show us the way out. We, we need Jesus. This passage, I, I, I've already told you, it's often called the, the Jesus hymn. And it's called that because church historians ha, have made the assertion that these verses were actually a song that the churches sang when they would come together. And, and the, this passage, is, it's not only a beautifully artistic writing about Jesus, it's also this theologically deep explanation of who he is. And, and so before we, we think any more about ourselves and how we're going to apply all this stuff today. I want us to just soak in Jesus. Can we do that? Like, let, let's let him soak deep into us through Paul's words. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited Instead, Jesus emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he'd come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus emptied himself, and then he denied himself because he was passionate about bringing us together in worship. Let's think about that. Jesus emptied himself. Jesus is God, and yet when Jesus incarnated, which is the word we use, incarnation, for, for taking on the flesh of, of humanity, he did that in the form of a Jewish baby boy. When he did that, in that form, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped at. He didn't hold on to being God in the sense that, that he held that over people or he exploited them. 
He, he wasn't trying to trick people or, or surprise them by, boom, I'm God in the flesh. Instead, he emptied himself. He poured out his godlike nature while remaining God. And as he grew in wisdom and in stature, Jesus just started serving people. He just started emptying himself out for them. He became one of us while never ceasing to be God. He, he got involved in the lives of people. He got in their mess and, and he gave up time and resources just to be present with people. Jesus emptied himself. And when he was emptied, then Jesus denied himself. When he had come as a man, the text says, he humbled himself. You know, everyone's definition of, of humility is a little different, it seems. But I was struck by one definition of the Greek word here. The definition said that this humility was being fully dependent on the Lord and dismissing reliance upon self. So in this sense, for Jesus to, to humble himself is to deny himself. You say, Blake, how is that, how's that different from emptying himself? Well, to empty something, right? If you've got your coffee cup and you wanted to empty it, you would pour it out, right? That's to empty oneself. But to deny oneself is to refuse to fill it back up with anything that is from yourself. Jesus refused to depend upon his abilities, his strategies, his own desires, his own power. He denied any reliance on himself, and he did it by being obedient to his Father. Whatever the Father said, Jesus did. No more, no less. He relied on the Father completely to sustain him and to fill him during his time on earth, even to the point of death. Can you imagine? Son, I need you to die. Yes, Father. Jesus, Son, I need you to die on a cross. Yes. Yes, Father. Humbly denying his self. Everything within his flesh crying out, this isn't going to be fun. This isn't, this isn't going to be good. But knowing that it was good for you and for I, Jesus emptied himself. Jesus denied himself. Why? Because he was passionate about bringing us together, of uniting us in worship. You know, our egos are so scarred by the fall that when we read in verse 9, that God highly exalted Jesus, we often stop reading and we start thinking, ah, whew, there it is, exaltation. That's what myself wants. How do I get that? I want to be lifted up. But we have to keep reading. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that, the, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus emptied himself and denied himself because he was passionate about bringing us together. It wasn't because he wanted to be exalted. It was because he wanted to see us come together as one. One family, one body, worshiping one name. 
confessing one Savior, serving one King, united in life and purpose as one. So here's the thing. You will never experience the true power of being united as long as yourself is getting in the way. Any moment you've had where you felt a part of something bigger, any moment you've had where you, know, you think this is a really powerful thing to be a part of, it pales in comparison to being one with Christ. And you, under your own power, you can't retrain yourself, you can't, you can't even empty yourself or deny yourself. Like, there is not enough willpower in the world to do those things. It's, it's impossible. So what if you killed yourself? Now, hear me. I am not talking about suicide. I'm talking being spiritually reborn by the power of Jesus, by the man who was God. Paul wrote in Romans 6, verses 6 and 7, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. You say, Blake, how do I get that? I am, I am tired of battling myself. I am tired of trying to force myself and be super self-disciplined and figure out how to make myself a good enough person. I am worn out from that. So, so how do I do this? How do I crucify myself? Well, Paul asked that question just a few verses prior in Romans 6, 3, and 4. He says, or Are you unaware that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. We join Jesus in his death by being baptized. That's how we crucify the self. That's the first step. And this is why we believe it's essential that you are baptized after you believe in Jesus. You see, baptism isn't a magical token that that saves you. It's a willful act where you crucify self and unite yourself with Jesus. You can't give up yourself if you don't personally believe that Jesus will resurrect you. You can't do it. Some of you need to quit waiting to crucify yourself. Like, you're not going to will yourself into being a better person. You're not going to will yourself into heaven. Yourself is going to keep getting in the way. Crucify yourself by joining Jesus in the waters of baptism. Say, Blake, what if I've been baptized and that old self is, is still nagging and taking hold of my life? Like, I don't have any question that I understood the decision that I made when I was baptized, and I don't have any question that I believed in Jesus, and then, and then I went down in that water and I gave myself up, I crucified myself so I could live with Christ. But that old self, man, he is still hanging around. Like, what do I do with that, Blake? Well, don't miss how Paul introduces this Jesus hymn in verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Now, 
You may be reading from a different translation of the Bible today, or if you start flipping through the different translations on your phone or whatever, right? You, you are going to notice that there are a lot of different phrases used here in this verse because this idea that, that gets translated, adopt the same attitude, is a word that, that makes it hard to translate in English because it encompasses not only what we think, but also like that gut, visceral feeling that, that says this is what we should do. So when he says to adopt the same attitude uh, as Christ, it's this idea that everything in you begins to, to think and act and do like Christ does. And even with this, you're like, well, Blake, that, that feels really overwhelming. Like, how would I do that? Well, Jesus helps us. He helps us because for anyone who has believed and repented of his sin and been baptized, right, and it's crucified the old self, you have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? That seems like an impossible, like, how, am I, how could I know wh- what it is to, to be God? But then Paul writes, but we have the mind of Christ. What, is, what does this mean? What does it mean that the mind of Christ is yours? It means that he transfers everything about himself to you so that you can become like him. How do I receive it then? How do, how do I begin to, to operate and, and live with the mind of Christ? How do I adopt his attitude? It starts with mimicking Jesus. You know, many of the ways that you function today are formed by the mimicking you did of the adults in your life during your first five years of life. We know this to be true, right? Children learn by mimicking you. And you know what's crazy? Uh, Children don't know whether what they're mimicking is right or wrong, but they've been able to show that, that they prefer to mimic adults because... As humans, we're wired to want to grow and progress to the next stage, to set goals, to, to advance, to move forward in life. And so young children mimic the adults in their life. And so in our spiritual lives, right, we learn to have the mind of Christ. We receive the mind of Christ by mimicking his actions. And so we go back to this Jesus hymn again. We said, well, okay, number one, since Jesus emptied himself so can I. You can too. Athanasius, the church father, said, Jesus became what we are that he might make us what he is. Jesus emptied himself of his power as God in order to get involved in people's lives. And I want to ask you a question. What would you empty out of your life to get involved in someone else's? Sometimes that question alone is hard for us to wrestle with. Michael Frost, a missional thinker, said, the modern life is increasingly excarnate or defleshed. It's a rootless, screen-addicted world that flies right in the face of Christianity's central teaching, the incarnation. That's a really nice way of saying that technology and screens have often pushed us further from our purpose of being involved in one another's lives. You will struggle to see someone as Christ sees them unless you have taken the time to empty yourself and get involved in their life. It's hard to receive the mind of Christ if you're unwilling to empty yourself. Y'all, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could squeeze him into your life. 
Jesus came emptying himself and denying himself so that he could get involved in your life and fill it with goodness. Now, there's a practical side to this, right? Like just clearing the clutter out of your life, whether that's mental clutter, physical clutter, emotional clutter. Like, how do I empty myself of those things? This is praying and telling God, I am giving this to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. I need to empty this out of my life. This is too big for me. This is learning to live with less physically so that you can give God more. This is also not ignoring, right, the the past trauma, the the emotional clutter that can often consume us for the sake of, of being or looking strong. Like, I don't want you to know these things because you'll think less of me. But instead, it's courageously bringing that into the light with a counselor or a therapist or some other safe space, emptying yourself of those things so that you might be filled with Christ. But it doesn't stop there, right? We pour ourselves out, and, and many of you know, like, as we serve, or as we lead, or we do that, we serve in kids, what, like, we empty ourselves out, right? And then you feel it when you're empty, don't you? You feel it when you're empty. And it's those moments where we feel empty that we have this great temptation to fill our lives with all kinds of things that aren't Christ. But since Jesus denied himself, you can too. That's number two. Since Jesus denied himself, you can too. I can remember coming home after school as a middle school kid. I would be incredibly hungry. Middle schoolers, can I get an amen? There's one out there. His stomach is on empty like mine is right at the end of the day. And so I'd come home and Sometimes you knew that it had been a long time since the last trip to the grocery store. Can I get another amen? Adults, you know these moments. They just happen late at night instead of after school. So you go to the pantry, right? And there's nothing there. And you're like, I got to find something. I made some weird snacks in middle school. I'm just, I'm just here to tell you. There were some days I was so hungry, it didn't matter if it made sense or not. Saltines and tea, brown sugar sandwiches, uncooked lasagna. I know, I just, spoonfuls of butter. It's, listen, it is the grace of God that I'm alive and here today, okay? Like, (laughs) Jerry's going to eat butter with me. All right. So, as a preteen, I would put anything in my body that I thought could possibly nourish me. Y'all, some of us in our spiritual lives are still running around like preteens. We will put anything in our body that we think has a chance of nourishing us, sustaining us, getting us through to the next thing. But when we empty ourselves, whether that's serving or just being selfless or decluttering our souls, and we're tempted to fill our souls with a million different things, we need the humility that Christ had, the humility that says instead of rushing to the things that I think are going to feel good or the things that I think will make me happy, instead of rushing to those things, I want to rush to obedience even if that obedience means suffering. Humility says, I won't depend on myself to navigate life. I'll learn to deny myself and walk humbly with God. I will count on him to fill me. Because if Jesus, who had every ability and power to come down from the cross and bring justice to those who put him there, didn't do that, but instead humbly depended on his Father in heaven to bring him back to life, you can too, because you have the mind of Christ. Jesus emptied himself. You can too. Jesus denied himself. 
in his power, you can too. This summer, our, our family headed to Somerset for a family fish, fish fry. Caitlin's grandparents, um, Dave and Rosemary, some of y'all know them, knew them. They're, they're buried there uh, in Somerset. And so when we're going down, we stopped by their graves while we were in town. Um, and as we get close to the cemetery, we kind of had this moment where we realized we're taking five-year-old Magnolia to a cemetery to see her great-grandparents' grave. And we're like, hmm, okay, we should probably prep her for this. So as we're getting close, Magnolia sets in with a million questions about death and being buried and heaven. Y'all, Caitlin taught a master class on how to explain those things to a curious five-year-old. So that was fantastic. But still, we, we pull into the cemetery, we get out of the car, and we begin walking through the headstones towards Dave and Rosie's grave. And, and as we did, I mean, Magnolia, you can just tell that her antennas are on like 11. I mean, she's... <laughs> and somebody finally asked her, Magnolia, are, are you okay? Like, what are you, what are you doing? She said, I am looking for God. He has got to be in here somewhere. <laughs> and even in her limited understanding, right, there's an intuitive recognition that the death of Christ brings us together. That as Jesus emptied himself and denied himself and died on the cross, it brings us together. His passion becomes our purpose his passion, you see, was you and me. But then we got to explain. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He's not here. He came back to life. And when he did, his father exalted him. He lifted him up out of the grave. Resurrection. And he did that so that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's the third way, the third action of Jesus is that you can mimic. If Jesus was exalted, you can exalt him too. You can exalt him too. You see, Jesus' death brings us together, but his resurrection gives us purpose and sends us out. His passion becomes our purpose. And so we say as a church, right, that we join Jesus in going out to confess before anyone who will listen that Jesus Christ is Lord. We encourage people to become his disciple, teaching them to obey what he has commanded. We encourage people to mimic Jesus, to receive the mind of Christ. We exalt him in everything we do and we say, and because of that, we are united with countless believers from every tongue, tribe, and nation confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord because we have the mind of Christ. And when we have the mind of Christ, his goals become ours. His passion becomes our purpose, bringing people together. How do we bring people together under that one name, the name of Jesus? How do we help people confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Y'all, as the band comes back this morning, this is a moment a time to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Lord, the one and only Savior, your only hope. This is your time. Our community group, quick story. We were just sharing different ways, different gospel conversations we'd been able to have. And, and one guy had been on a business trip this past week. And he gets to the city that he's going to, and he takes an Uber to where he's going. And he meets this guy, and, and he, 
He doesn't share the gospel with him. He's kind of regretting that. And then as the Lord would have it, right, he ends up having the opportunity to get in the same Uber with the same guy on his way back to the airport. It's like, all right, I can't miss this. Like, we're going to have a gospel conversation. And so they're driving down the interstate. And this guy says, hey, man, I just want you to know that if you took a hard right, put the car in the guardrail right there, I'm good. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm not saying I want to die, but like, I'm ready to. So if you want to just wreck the car, great. The driver's like, oh, hold on. <laughs> what are we talking about here? He said, man, we're talking about Jesus. My life is wrapped around him. He gives me hope. He, he unites me together with that purpose. And I just want to know if, you, if the same is true for you. That's my question for you today. Man, here at Christ Community, we're going to continue to hold Jesus up. We're going to join Jesus in going out to make disciples. That one purpose, it unites us. It gives us all the feels to get everyone together around that one name so that one day we might join together in heaven and declare and sing in whatever ways we worship that Jesus is the Christ. He is the only one. My question is, are you ready for that? Have you declared that Jesus is the one? Have you confessed that he is your Lord and Savior? If you've never done that, I want to encourage you to empty yourself today. Leave yourself by the side of the road. Leave him in the waters of baptism and live that new life that he promises to us. If you're a baptized believer, man, you may be on empty today. Work's got you tired. Whatever else has got you tired. You've been serving. You're done. You're tired of hearing us ask you to serve more. Whatever it is, you feel empty. When we come to the table, when we take the bread and the juice, we're reminded of the ultimate self-denial. Jesus, who could have saved himself from all that heartache and pain, did not. But he humbly denied himself. And so this morning, if you're a baptized believer and you feel like you're on empty, be filled at the table. Be filled with Christ. And then let's worship him together. Let's confess and sing and leave this place to go be the church, sharing with everyone, my Savior's Jesus. I'm ready. Are you? Let me pray for us as we respond today. Jesus, you are truly the name above every other name. You emptied yourself and denied yourself to unite us together around yourself. Give us the courage to leave our old self behind so that we may walk in newness of life with you. Holy Spirit, you know the spiritual heart of every person in this room. Some dead, some tired, some not walking with you, some walking with you in great intimacy. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that your spirit would minister to each person's heart and soul and mind and strength. Help us to adopt the same attitude that you had as you walked this earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, We hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus and going outside. Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in an experienced Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack, and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.